0: Hello, beautiful people. Y'all, welcome back to our Guide to Love podcast. This podcast is all about holistic health, sacred sexuality, and spirituality. I have Lindsay Lockett here, and she's a trauma educator and coach. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, Haley. Yeah, so one of the reasons why I reached out to you is you talk about the nervous system, and y'all, I think the nervous system is so, so important, and especially when I talk about it in terms of helping you guys feel more pleasure, connect your body more, So talk about like, why do we even need to care about the nervous system?
1: Okay, so I am probably more passionate about educating people about their nervous system than anything else. I think that nervous system education is the foundation of any kind of healing journey, particularly if you're on like a mental health healing journey. Um, I think mental health, I use air quotes there, mental health I think is, to be honest, a crock of bullshit. Am I allowed to say bullshit? Yeah, the yeah, podcast? yeah,
0: we say it all here.
1: Okay, I <laughs> think mental health is a crock of bullshit because um, the symptoms that we all experience like anxiety, insomnia, depression, uh, low sex drive, um, feeling disassociated or disconnected from our bodies, PMS, um, digestive issues, um, like POTS, allergies, asthma, like I could go on and on and on with all of the symptoms that are related to the nervous system not functioning optimally. And when I say nervous system, I'm talking about the autonomic nervous system, I'm not talking about the central nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system is the nervous system that controls everything automatic in your body. So it's all of those systems and organs that are functioning, everything from your immune system to your hormone production, to your digestion, your heart rate, circulation, your respiration, Um, your hormone balance, um, your wound healing, like literally all of those things are controlled by your autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system is also where the fight flight freeze responses live. And many, many people who have experienced what the, what we would call trauma um, and have a quote unquote mental illness, like anxiety, depression, um, schizophrenia, bipolar, whatever it is. Um, they they think that it's all in their minds because it's called mental illness. And I think that that's a misnomer because anxiety doesn't live in your mind. It lives in your body. Depression doesn't live in your mind. It lives in your body. Um, autoimmune disease doesn't live in your mind. It lives in your body, allergies, asthma, PMS, all those things don't live in your mind. They live in your body. And as long as we have people believing that they're just these like heads walking around without connection to their bodies, then we're still trying to, uh, we're still doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, which is the definition of insanity. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm really passionate about the nervous system. Learning about my nervous system was like key for me in healing from anxiety, um, panic attacks, insomnia, chronic fatigue, chronic pain, stuff like that. So I'm really passionate about the nervous system. And I wish that we would stop talking about mental illness and start talking about dysfunction of the nervous
0: system instead. Mm, this is good. Okay, so tell me, I guess you were struggling with all that, then you're like, Maybe it's the nervous system. Like what even led you to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't like I'm struggling with all this and then I wake
1: up one day and I'm like, maybe I need to learn about my nervous system. No, um, my story has a very, uh, a very dramatic climax, um, which is I attempted suicide on March 7th, 2019. And that was after several months of just constant debilitating anxiety, panic attacks. I mean, whatever you picture in your head as what the worst anxiety looks like, that's what I was doing. I mean, pacing the floor, wringing my hands, curled up in a fetal position, rocking myself, um, screaming at night, just it was bad. And it went on for six months. Um, I also had terrible insomnia. So we're talking like no more than three hours of sleep for six months solid. Um, there wasn't like an exception in there where like maybe a couple of times I got, you know, miraculously like six or seven hours. No, it was literally like I could go to sleep around 10. I was waking up between 1230 and 1am and I could not go back to sleep and that went on for six months. Um, so I was, I was literally going crazy and, um, It was the darkest, most awful time of my life. Um, So that was late 2018, early 2019. And on March 7th, 2019, I attempted suicide by walking out in the frigid cold. I live in Minnesota and it gets very, very cold here in the winter time. And I walked outside wearing nothing but my pajamas. um, And my hope was to go get lost in the woods and freeze to death. And um, luckily my husband caught me (laughs) while I was doing it and was like, "Um, hey, what are you doing? And, um, that was like, yeah, a few days later, I checked myself into a psychiatric hospital. Um, I was there voluntarily. I voluntarily began taking a cocktail of psych medications, which I'm so, so, so grateful for. And yeah, checked myself out after five days and started rebuilding, um, my life, putting myself back together. And that's when I started learning about my nervous system. So um, before that, I had tried to fix my symptoms and my problems by taking a shit ton of supplements every month, um, by following various sorts of restrictive diets, anything from gluten free, dairy free to keto to, um, you know, low carb to like bone broth, fasting, um, juice fasts. Like I tried it all the celery juice. Oh my God. the celery juice. That's the biggest crock of shit I've ever heard in my life. It's also the worst tasting shit I've ever had in my life. So no, (laughs) nobody do the celery juice thing, honestly, unless you just really like celery juice. Um, but yeah, I, I was trying to fix all of these very real symptoms. Um, But with like kale smoothies and different strains of probiotics and hiring, you know, going from functional doctor to chiropractor to uh, various types of nutritionists to, I mean, just skipping from one practitioner to the next, one protocol to the next, one diet to the next, like one supplement to the next and You know, if more supplements and diet changes had been what I needed to be well, I would have been well because I I can promise you, if uh, if that's what it we'd need to be healthy is all of that, then I was the picture of health. Except I wasn't. I was like falling apart, and I just kept trying to put more supplements on the fire to put it out, and I wasn't putting it out. And it wasn't until I learned about my nervous system that everything clicked for me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I've been trying to regulate my nervous system with probiotics and kale smoothies and a gluten-free diet for like 10 years and it's not working. And so, yeah, that's when I, I shut the door on the diet supplement health and wellness culture, uh, time of my life. And I opened the door on a new phase of my life, which was learning about my nervous system and how to regulate it.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up though because, you know, I used to be a health coach. That's kind of what I mean.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so did I.
0: <laughs> and then I realized that is all bullshit because mm-hmm. I do think that, and I've said this on the podcast, it, 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 I do feel like no wonder why people are so confused because they say, oh, this is the diet and this is the diet and this is, and it's like every year there's a new diet and it's very confusing.
1: Yeah, no, thank you not into that anymore. I don't restrict my diet at all now. I eat whatever I want and I've never been healthier. (laughs) Mm, That's good. (laughs) I'm healthier now than I was when my diet was perfect and I took $400 a month in supplements.
0: And then, so when you started doing the nervous system work, what did that entail? Yeah. So
1: first I, I had to learn about my nervous system. Like most people think that the nervous system is what we would call the central nervous system, which is like you know, your, your feelings on your skin. So you touch the hot stove and you know, it's hot because the nerves picked up the heat and it burned and it sent that message to your brain. And you learned like, oh, we don't touch the hot stove. Um, but I didn't know anything about the autonomic nervous system. And so I just began going down this, um, I'm a researcher by nature. That's why I made such a good health coach. I used to be a food blogger. Um so I I know my way around a scientific study. I know what to look for. I know how to find good sources and so I just took what I already knew about research and I applied it instead of applying it to food and supplements, I applied it to the nervous system. Um and I also came across a protocol called the Nemachek protocol and I read his book and that book was pretty foundational for me as far as tying the physical symptoms into like being like, oh, okay, this actually isn't in my head. This isn't because of a diet. This isn't because I have food intolerances and sensitivities. This isn't because I'm taking the wrong supplements. It's actually because my nervous system is in such a state of dysregulation that over time it's created these sort of chronic physical symptoms that are very real very real physical symptoms, very painful, very debilitating, very inconvenient, uncomfortable, like it's very real stuff. And it's the kind of stuff that we're trying to throw pharmaceuticals at and supplements at and you're trying restrictive diets and you're trying to quote unquote heal the gut and all of that and I had I had been there, I had done it um, all. And it wasn't until learning about how the nervous system works when we're in a state of stress, how every single person has a different capacity for what their nervous system can handle. And, you know, if you think about it, like siblings who grow up in the same home, they have the same parents, the same home, the same same school, the same environment. One of them grows up and they're totally fine, they're functional as adults, they live happy, healthy lives, they you know, they have a lot of joy in their lives, they have functional relationships, like everything seems fine. The other sibling is like a train wreck and they're like addicted to drugs or they're alcoholics or they can't stay in relationships or their relationships aren't functional or like whatever it is. Well, what's the difference? They both grew up in the same house, they had the same parents, they went to the same school, they ate the same food, so what's the difference? The difference is their nervous systems, one of their nervous systems for whatever reason. And I think it's a combination of, well, first of all, I think genetics play a lot less of a role than we like to think they do. I think that it's, uh, I think the fact that we can be like, oh, it's genetic. It runs in my family is like a way to avoid taking responsibility for, things in your own life that perhaps have been handed down generationally, and maybe it is generational, but I don't think generational equals genetic. I think that of course we know that trauma alters the way genes express themselves. There's tons of research on that, but like how much of, for example, how much of like the diabetes that runs in my family is because there's a genetic tendency towards diabetes and how much of it is because for generations there has not only been trauma but there's also been like a diet full of processed foods and sugar and you know sodas and stuff like that so like is it really genetic or is it because this is the way people in my family have been taught to eat and their bodies are manifesting as diabetes so um I mean and we could go off on a whole tangent on that but i'll i'll try not to get too distracted by that um but anyway back to like uh you know genetics i think it's a lot easier for people to just be like oh it's genetic it just runs in my family instead of actually stepping up and saying you know what maybe this does run in my family i want to excavate why this runs in my family what patterns exist here how are they playing out in my life and how can i take responsibility for myself to say this stops with me. Like this, this ends here. Um, so I think that's one aspect of it. And then, um, sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. Did I answer your question? I think you did. (laughs) But one thing I want to add, its okay. Sorry. That was like, I feel like I went on so many different tangents there that it was like, you know, I was like, pulling from different aspects of my work all at the same time. And I'm not sure if I put them together in one coherent thought or not. No, no,
0: it's okay. But what I want to add real quick is the fact that, um, you know, people say like they're empaths and Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm an empath is the sense of being an empath. mean No, it's the fact that you grew up with a dysregulated nervous system and your nervous system sensitive to others. Is that what that is?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, now you've reminded me where I was. So, uh, yeah. So it's like, if you take the siblings who grow up, same environment, same home, same parents, one of them is functional, one of them is dysfunctional. What's the difference? Well, I think it's their nervous systems. And sure, maybe there is a genetic component to that. However, um, every person's nervous system, for whatever reason, it could be ancestral trauma. It could be genetics. It could be a mixture of those things. It could be, it could be their gender. It could be, I mean, there's so many different factors that go into what, creates a resilient nervous system or not. And I think there's even factors that we don't know about yet. Um, But every person's capacity for stress is different. And so that explains how siblings can live in the same conditions growing up, and one can grow up and be functional and healthy, and the other one is a train wreck. Because the, the other sibling who has the train wreck life, like their nervous system, for whatever reason, just could not handle the stress and it did not have the resiliency to bounce back from stress that the other siblings nervous system had. So like once you realize that every person on the planet is unique and every person has their own unique nervous system. Now everyone's nervous system works the same way. Okay. So like everyone's fight, flight, freeze responses works the same way. Everyone's autonomic nervous system is regulating the same things in their body. Um, but the capacity for how the nervous system is able to handle stress is as unique as each individual person is. And so like, for example, my husband has a huge capacity for stress. Um, he did not grow up in a home with abuse or neglect, like his ACEs score is like zero. Um, ACEs is the adverse childhood experiences score, um, Mm -hmm. for listeners who don't know what that is. Um, so my husband's ACEs score is a zero. So when we go through stress in our lives, my husband's kind of able to just let it roll off like water on a duck's back. But my ACEs score is a six. So like I have a lot more complex trauma in my life than my husband does, which takes its toll on your nervous system. So my husband and I can go through the same event. And one of us, usually him comes out totally fine. And the other one of us, usually me, is like falling apart afterwards. And it's not because one of us is like, um, you know, better than the other one or it's just that my nervous system is just less resilient than his is. And so my work then is to know that and then to take the steps that I need to take to create more resiliency and flexibility.
0: Okay. And that's a really good point because you brought up how it's a six. Is that out of 10 or what is that?
1: Yeah. It's a six out of 10. Yeah. The ACEs, the ACE adverse childhood experiences um, survey is 10 questions that you, it's basically yes or no questions. And it's things like in your home, did you ever see one of your parents hit another parent or did they hit you? Like, so yes, no. And so for every question that you answer yes to, that's a point. So, um, yeah, my, my ACEs score is a six and my husband's is zero. So our nervous systems have had different experiences and therefore they're either less resilient or more resilient depending.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And then see, I love this conversation because it's the first time I've had several people speak about nervous systems, but not in the way you're talking about it. So this is good oh, in good. terms of what you're saying about, uh, creating resiliency. Mm-hmm. How do we create more of a resilient nervous system?
1: Ah, that's like, a, that's a, my favorite question. Um, so resiliency, the definition of resilience is just the ability to bounce back after something after stress. So we, if we don't have resilient nervous systems, then when we undergo stress, whether that's like a single one-time event, like a car accident, or if it's like an ongoing thing, like being in an abusive relationship or, um, like living in poverty, things like that, that are kind of ongoing long-term. Either way, whether it's a single event or a long-term event, um, if we don't have resiliency in our nervous systems, then that means we go through those events and we don't bounce back. So a lot of people, particularly like the clients that I work with, um, they almost always have a similar story and that is like, I was doing just fine i was just going along in my life i was living my life and then my mom died and i've never been the same since or things in my life were pretty good until my husband and i got a divorce and then my health just like went downhill or i got really sick or i was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease after that or i've been having non-stop panic attacks or whatever it is so A lot of times there is like an event or kind of a series of events that happen close together that create kind of the perfect storm of conditions where the person goes through these things and they just can't bounce back afterwards. They've like tapped out their nervous system capacity for resiliency. They just aren't resilient anymore. Um. So yeah to create more resiliency and flexibility in the nervous system i mean for me i this is like probably my number one quote that i say all the time is awareness is 90 percent of the battle so it helped me so much even though it didn't actually do anything it helped me so much and i felt so validated just learning what the autonomic nervous system is what it controls and what it looks like when it malfunctions or isn't functioning correctly or is impaired in some way. So I learned about that from, um, reading like the Nemechek protocol. I also learned about that from the work of, um, Annie Hopper. She has work called the dynamic neural retraining system. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I learned about all of that. And then, so step one is just, knowledge right knowledge is power (laughs) like you can do a lot when you have the right information so and then step two is just like you can easily google how to like strengthen your autonomic nervous system or how to create more resiliency and flexibility in your nervous system and the way that you that i have found to be most effective to do that um i mean there's a lot of really effective things like breath work is effective meditation is effective like anything that puts you in a calm regulated state. So warm baths, massages, um, doing yoga, like anything like that is great for calming and regulating your nervous system. But to actually create more resiliency in your nervous system, you have to be willing to sort of intentionally stress your nervous system out a little bit. And I know that may seem counterintuitive because you're like, well, wait a minute, I've been living my whole life under stress. Like, I don't need to stress my nervous system out more, I need to stress it out less. So why are you telling me to intentionally stress my nervous system out? Well, because when you're going through a stressful uh, period that you don't really have any control over, like the death of a parent or a child or an illness or a divorce or some kind of like financial struggle, like, you know, something like that, that you don't really have a lot of control over, you just gotta get through it, right? And maybe it like leaves you completely spent afterwards and you, and your health crashes. And that's what happens a lot. Like with a lot of my clients, they go through a thing like this and then their health just deteriorates and they feel like shit afterwards, but they go to the doctor and they get lab work and they get all these things done and nobody can tell them definitively, like, here's what's wrong with you. You know, they end up with a lot of these, like, well, it's all in your head (laughs) is one or like, um you know, like, well, your lab work says you're fine, but you probably just need some more vitamins, you know, just like stuff like that. Or you just need to sleep more. Like if you could just get some more sleep, like that's what you need or, or whatever. And like, yeah, maybe you do need more sleep and maybe you do need some vitamins, but probably your nervous system is just like really stressed out and it's not bouncing back. Um, so to create that resiliency and flexibility, I personally, my favorite tool is uh, cold plunges. And I know that like, sounds, I don't know, maybe crazy. Maybe it doesn't. But when you put the body in really cold water, you stress it out. Like it's stressful for your body to be in cold water. But when you're able to remain in the cold water and actively and intentionally keeping yourself regulated while you're in that stressful state so you can do that through relaxation through breathing through intention through mantra Um, then you get out of the water and it's amazing how it translates into like real life so i started doing cold plunges in the summer of 2020. Um, i gave myself a challenge to do 30 days straight of cold plunges and once the 30 days was up, I was like loving it so much and seeing so much immediate benefit. I mean, it was like, if you want instant gratification, cold plunges is Mm -hmm. the way you get that. So, um, yeah, but I was, you know, able to put myself in this intentionally stressful cold water and I live near Lake Superior, which is this big inland ocean that's always cold. So it's, literally five minutes from my house. So I would just go to the lake. I would get in, um, the coldest that I've ever been in was 45 degrees. So you get in and your body I mean, immediately you have a stress response because you get in water that cold and what do you do? <gasps> you gasp, right? Like, so stress response, like when anybody gasps, like you can immediately feel like tension, like there's constriction in the breath, in the body, like muscle tightness, muscle constriction, um, because you've put yourself in literally like freezing cold water and the body is like hey like we die in places like this like you don't need to be in here so it it puts you in a stress response because it wants you to get out same as if you're like hiking in the woods and you come across a bear like you're gonna have a stress response because your body is not like weighing the pros and cons of what you're doing it's preparing you to act in that moment you've got to in that moment Are you going to fight this bear or are you going to run away from it? Mm -hmm. It's the same way with cold water. Are you going to succumb to the cold of this water and get hypothermia and die? Or are you going to get the fuck out of the water and get back to safety? The, The thing though is, is that with consciousness and awareness, when you're intentionally putting yourself in these stressful situations, you can learn to override those stress responses. You're literally overriding your nervous system so you can train yourself to get in 45 degree water and not gasp it takes a lot of focus and intention and practice but it can be done Um, goosebumps a lot of people don't know this goosebumps is a stress response like it's our body's way of being like hey i'm cold i'm trying to warm myself up here's how i'm letting you know that i'm cold shivering shaking those are also stress responses of the body like trying to warm you back up you can override all of that it takes focus intention and practice but you can and the other thing that i love about cold plunges and how i think it translates to people being able to not only build resiliency and flexibility in their nervous systems but also um to actually heal trauma is that when you are in a traumatic experience so whether that was your childhood or again, a divorce, an illness, a financial crisis, whatever it is, you often, especially if you were a child, you did not have the agency or the ability to get out of that situation, right? Like your ability to say no didn't exist. You couldn't protect yourself and you couldn't leave. And sometimes even as adults, even when we can leave, there's all kinds of emotional trauma involved, right? So what i love about cold plunges is that it's an immediate way to get your agency back because you're intentionally putting yourself in a stressful situation but you get to decide when you're done and that's something that trauma didn't give you the ability to do and so you are like i'm going in and now i'm ready to get out and it doesn't matter how long you stay in what matters is that you're teaching your body that you actually do have the ability Take yourself out of a stressful situation, and to trust yourself to know when it's time. And I mean, I could go on and on about cold plunges. Do you want me to keep talking? About um,
0: that? well, give me a second. No, 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 <laughs> okay, just, 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 I got a quick question here in terms of the fact that okay, say people don't have a cold river or lake nearby. Um, just cold showers—do those work? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the ideal is to
1: plunge your whole body from head to toe in cold water. But if you don't have access to Lake Superior <laughs> or an icy cold river, then yeah, the next bex- best thing is whatever you do have access to. So if that's a cold shower, awesome. If that's filling your bathtub up with cold water and and dumping your ice cube tray from the freezer in it. Like do that. Some people, um, they fill up like those little chest freezers, you know, like the little ones with like cold water and ice and then you can close the lid and it keeps it cold. So then you always have the ability to like go open your freezer and get inside of it. Like there's there's like really expensive cold plunge tubs and ice bath contraptions that you can buy on the internet Um, thankfully I just live near Lake Superior, so that's what I use. But yeah, I mean the ideal temperature for cold plunge is like 50 to 60 degrees. Um, so some people, especially if you live in a warmer climate, or if you live like in a place where you're on municipal water, your water might not get that cold. Um, I have well water in my house and so my water is like super, super cold coming straight out of the tap because my well is like 300 feet below the surface of the ground. Um, But for people who don't have that, then yeah, cold showers, adding ice to a cold tub. Um, Sometimes you can go to like, you know, like different gyms or probably not the like YMCA, but things like that. And they sometimes have like ice baths because athletes use Mm -hmm. ice baths a lot so i mean you can find if you're if you're really set on doing cold plunges you can create the environment that you need even if you don't live near a wild body of cold water
0: okay and then how often are you still doing these
1: yeah i still do them not every day so Mm -hmm. i started in 2020 i was going to do it for 30 days Um, the 30 days came and went, I did it every day. I loved it so much. I kept going and I ended up going, I think for like 70 days straight. And then by then it was fall and it was really, really cold. (laughs) So, but yeah, I've also done them during the summer of
0: 2021. Oh, cool. Okay. So now in terms of the fact that what now you would just do a cold shower for you, or what do you do? Um, I mean, I've also added
1: other tools to my toolbox. So Mm -hmm. cold plunges is it's one tool. It's easy for most people. It's going to be free. Um, you know, especially if you're doing it in your own house or if you have a lake or river you can go get in. Um, so for me, cold plunges are super, super effective. They're fast and they're free. And um, I actually have a free training on how to hack your nervous system with cold plunges. Do you think your audience would be interested in that? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So if, I don't know if you do show notes, but you can find the free training at LindsayLocket.com forward slash cold plunge. Um, so there's like video and, and words and all the how to, what the benefits of it are. I mean, I, it's, it's all there. So, um, but yeah, there's all kinds of other tools. If you don't have access to cold water or if that freaks you out too much, um, there's like breath work that you can do that will also challenge your nervous system. Um, So whenever you do forced hyperventilation, so like, (sighs) like forcing yourself to breathe that way, um, but probably slower than that because you want to breathe really deep and really oxygenate your body. Um, But then after doing that for like 30 to 45 seconds, you'll probably feel like tingly and dizzy all over. Um, And then if you hold, uh, like breathe all the way out and then just don't take another breath back in. So you're not really holding your breath because there's no breath in your lungs, but it's more like an exhale and then you're just waiting a long time before you inhale again. Um, Like that's another way that you can like intentionally stress out your nervous system because you make sure your body has enough oxygen before you expel all the air and then you get to decide how long you'd go before you take that breath again, you know? So again, you have agency, you have the choice you know that you're safe while you're doing it. Um, so that kind of breath work is another another great tool.
0: Mm-hmm. And then all these tools that you're saying because my question would be okay. So you found out that all of these tools help you more than what you were doing previously with the diets and the supplements.
1: Oh yeah, because it's like the diets and the supplements don't they don't strengthen and tone the nervous system. I mean yeah, I mean like I still. Want to nourish my body. Nourishing my body with food is always going to be something that's really important to me. Just because I'm not following any kind of particular diet doesn't mean I'm just like binging potato chips and ice cream. You know, Mm -hmm. like I still need to nourish myself. So I still do tons of vegetables and smoothies and bone broth and like all of these different kinds of things. It's just that I'm no longer trying to fix anxiety and insomnia and pms and allergies with those things you know
0: Mm, yes okay good point yeah because i want to bring up trauma because i think that the thing is is like it seems like now most people have dealt with some form of trauma oh yeah everybody has trauma
1: trauma. everyone has trauma
0: yep and so doing nervous system work helps that
1: oh my gosh yeah yeah. I mean, because trauma, trauma compromises the nervous system. Like you're, you know, Resma Menakem and his book, my grandmother's hands, he defines trauma as anything that's too much, too fast, too soon for the nervous system. So whatever, uh, trauma is not the event. A lot of people think that trauma is the event that it was the divorce. It was the death. It was the car accident. It was the, um, the, the poverty. It was the abuse. It was the molestation. Like people think that that was what trauma is. No, the trauma is not the event. Trauma is the way the body holds on to the energy of the event and it doesn't process it. And so that's why anything has the potential to be traumatic. Like Mm -hmm. literally anything can be trauma for anybody, depending on how their unique nervous system responds to that thing. So you were, you mentioned empaths earlier. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because like empaths tend to have more sensitive nervous systems and so they get more overstimulated easily, or they have to be like pickier with their diets because certain foods just really throw them off. Or, you know, it's difficult being around a lot of people because they can feel everyone's emotions. Like, and now this isn't like a, Get out of jail free card for empaths. Because again, even if you are an empath, even if you have a more sensitive nervous system, your work is not to expect everyone around you to change and conform to make you comfortable. Your work is to create more resiliency and flexibility in your nervous system and also have energetic boundaries so that you aren't always picking up on other people's emotions or the energy of the room or. So like, it's not a free pass for empaths, (laughs) but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, empaths, we have our own work to do and that's okay. But yeah, so everyone's resiliency and flexibility in their nervous system is different. Um, anything can be traumatic for anybody. That's why, like, I don't do trigger warnings in any of my content. I do not do trigger warnings because it like literally anything can be a trigger for somebody, you know, like Mm -hmm. a a single word could be a trigger for somebody. Me doing an Instagram story outside might be a trigger for somebody like, I mean, anything can be a trigger. So I'm not going to say trigger warning before every time I post something on social media or share on my story or whatever, because I know that trauma isn't the event. It's how the body doesn't or does process the event or stores the emotions of the event.
0: Wow. And this is such a good point, too. I think that's great that you brought that up, though, because, you know, we're in the age of cancel culture and censoring. And so it's like, that's a good point. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah.
1: I mean, I've gotten a lot of criticism for not giving trigger warnings, but I just refuse. Like, And I also don't see triggers as a bad thing. Like a lot of people, a lot of people have this like avoidance uh, with triggers and they're just like, well, if I can just avoid my triggers, I'll be fine, you know? But I mean, honestly, if you're needing to avoid something in order to be fine or in order to feel okay within yourself, then you're not actually living in a place of self-sovereignty and authenticity because you're still reliant upon something in the outside to dictate how you feel, rather than you deciding how you feel, because you are living in sovereignty and autonomy, and you're not depending on something else to dictate how you feel.
0: Mm, yes, and I'm sure you know Joda Spindz's work, right? Oh yeah, I love Joda hey, Spindz's yeah, work. I love him. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, well, you know he talks a lot about that. Stop letting the external world control you emotionally.
1: Yeah, and honestly, like triggers, I I have my own definition of trigger, and for me. Uh, a trigger is a present moment resurrection of past events or trauma. So like something is happening in this present moment that is bringing up the feelings and the discomfort of whatever was in the past. So that's what a trigger is. Triggers are these like amazing miraculous little breadcrumbs that your nervous system is leaving you and saying here's what still needs to heal that's what a trigger is it's not something to be avoided it's something to be thankful for and it's something to go oh cool all right here's something else i need to heal like i'm feeling triggered by this the answer is not to avoid the answer is to heal so then the next time you're faced with that thing it's not creating dysregulation in you because you've already dealt with it and you don't have any like emotional attachment to it anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought the whole empath too, because I'm personally identified as an empath. A lot of people I work with are, I'm sure people you work with too, but I also think it's like not wearing it as a badge of being a victim. Like, oh, you're so sensitive. No, it's like, okay, yes, you have that. Use the tools. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if that's you, you have a more sensitive nervous system. You're more sensitive to the energies around you. That's not good. That's not bad. It just is. Right. But if it becomes an excuse for why you can't do something, or if it's like you're get out of doing whatever card, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, then yeah, then you're, you're in that space of victim consciousness.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of society is in that. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of, cause I think you mentioned this in one of your posts, uh, shame cycles. Mm. Go into that. Cause I personally believe that, you know, I've talked about this with the work I'm doing, cause I've mentioned sexuality a lot. That's, you know, cool, I, kind of what led me from health coaching to what I'm doing now is mm-hmm. I had a lot of shame around sexuality. So go into shame cycles. About sexuality in particular. No, no, or just no. generally? Oh no, yeah, you can do that. It doesn't matter, whichever way Okay. You know you well, work. I'm
1: still I'm still dealing with my own sexual shame. Okay, so. then yeah, you can say it. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm I'm not qualified to speak on that yet. Okay, maybe, then but. whatever
0: you're qualified to speak on. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: I mean I've I've got shame is something that a lot of my clients deal with. It's I get DMs about shame all the time. And I did a QA uh podcast episode on my podcast recently. And one of the questions that I answered on that episode was, um, this person was nitpicking their partner and they knew they were doing it. And then they were also like going into these shame spirals about it. Just like, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I did it. And now I just feel like shit, you know, I feel so ashamed of myself. And so like, you know, first of all, let's just put it out there in the open. Let's all acknowledge that our parents, our school systems, our society, religion, uh, politics, like literally every system of authority that we've all been under has used shame as a tactic to accomplish whatever it is they're trying to accomplish, right? (laughs) I come from the fundamentalist evangelical Christian world and I mean, they'll tell you it's all about love, but really it's all about making you feel shame so that you buy into their narrative and you align your life to look how they want it to look and you live by the Bible and you go to church and you, say and do all the things that you're supposed to say and do. And it's really, they say it's motivated by love and Jesus and, you know, the Holy Spirit and all of this, but really it's just motivated by shame. Like it really just, it just is, um, you know, a lot of our parents used shame, like, Oh, you should have known better. Like stuff like that. That's Mm -hmm. really, really shaming. Mm -hmm. Um, our government like fuck right now with COVID and the masks and the vaccine. And like, if you aren't doing, what the mainstream media says to do, you're gonna get shamed over it, you know, either on social media or by people in your real life. So let's just acknowledge that we have all been in positions where authority shamed us into conforming or complying or obeying or submitting. And we all probably, if we are adults, have used shame in some way to try to get what we want from other people. So I think first we just have to be honest about it and that this happened to us when we were kids, we got shamed by religion, parents, teachers at school, all of the above, whatever. And that informed how we grew up and operate. So we were children who were shamed and we often grew up and we become adults who shame either our own children or other adults. Um, And you know, shame is pretty reliable if you're just trying to get what you want from somebody, if you're just trying to get their compliance or their obedience, shame is pretty reliable, it works. But really, shame only creates like temporary surface level change. Like anyone who does something because they were shamed into doing it, isn't doing it for the right reasons. So no real or lasting change comes from a place of shame. Now it's, it is effective at creating these very temporary surface level, like uh, the appearance of change, right? Or the appearance of like doing the right thing. But it really, it really isn't effective for creating like the deep lasting change that people need. I mean, this is why like with, um, you know, freaking like racism, for example, shaming white people is not the way to get them not to be racist (laughs) like it's like you know shaming them is not how we get them to stop being racist it has to come with like compassion and and there has to be empathy and there has to be education and there has like not shame so to get out of shame cycles we first have to be aware that we're in a shame cycle we have to be aware of how shame was used on us how we have used shame to benefit ourselves um And then i'm really big about tuning into your body and seeing what does that feel like in your body so first you're you're aware all right i'm in a shame cycle um what does that feel like in my body where do i feel that you know does that feel like a knot in my throat does that feel like sick feeling in my stomach does that feel like uh like I, i blush or i flush you know with like heat in my face like, so what does shame feel like in my body? Um, and then can I be curious about it? Hmm, I wonder I wonder why I, try, I rely on shame to change. A lot of people self-shame, right? They mm-hmm. self-shame. Yeah. So, okay, why is it that I do that? Why do I shame myself every time I eat ice cream? Why do I shame myself every time my partner wants to have sex and I don't? like what purpose is that serving for me that's my favorite question in the whole world what purpose Mm. is it serving for me so it's just awareness right like not judging not oh my god i can't believe i'm feeling ashamed again you know like shaming yourself about your shame is not (laughs) not the way to break a shame cycle so it's just you know acknowledging that it's there being curious about it feeling what it feels like in your body um for most of us it's going to go back to an inner child wound. In some way, like it's always rooted in childhood. So, if you're in your highest self, like, can you go to that part of you that is hurting that inner child? Can you go to that piece within yourself and soothe him or her? You know, can you be the adult who is with that inner little you in that moment holding space? that little you like can you do that can you become your own parent and apologize to your inner child for the shame that they experienced and for the way that they learned that shame was an effective manipulation tool and they grew up and became someone who shamed other people like there's always responsibility for self that goes into this but then there's also acknowledging how some of this stuff gets dumped on you and you didn't really have a choice so You know can you go apologize to your inner child like can you hold yourself accountable i'm so not into accountability culture but like the only accountability there is is self accountability can you hold yourself accountable for how you've used shame to to manipulate others and get what you want and i really do believe that with awareness and practice just like with cold plunges with enough practice and intention and focus you can get yourself out of a shame cycle like you can, and then you can choose not to go back in to shame cycles, whether it's for yourself or other people. It's just that shame is the default program that's running. It's like the virus on the computer. And the only way to get the virus off the computer is to be aware that the virus is even there in the first place, right? Does that answer yes. your question about shame?
0: <laughs> yes. And you know what? This is so good. I am i bet the people listening can still relate because I do think that I love how you made a good point about you've used you shame to other people and then you've been shamed. Because like a lot of people haven't said it that way. They've said, oh, I've experi, I've been, but not I've used. Yeah. I mean, that. that's
1: most of the time what was done to us, we on some level have used it on someone else. And that's the, that's the truth, the ugly truth that I think a lot of people don't want to admit to. And I think that's where like, that's where we can prove cancel culture and accountability culture wrong. You know, because cancel culture and accountability culture wouldn't exist without shame. And so the people who are using shame to try to get people like me to de-platform and quote unquote hold ourselves accountable and whatever the fuck it is they want us to do, like they're doing it with shame. Probably because at one point in their lives, they did something wrong and they were shamed for it, you know? So they're, they're using the only tools that they have to use. And unfortunately it's a shitty tool to use and it's not a very effective one. That's the problem is it's just not an effective tool, but for a lot of our culture, it's the only tool they have.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is too, is like, I talk a lot about sexuality because I couldn't have an orgasm. So that led me into the sexual work. Cause I was like, what is my body's broken, you know? And so it was cause I was on all these antidepressants and on all these medication from when I was working in corporate and I just didn't feel anything. And I remember going to my psychiatrist and she said, Oh, we can just put you on another pill. Right. The typical American, you know, yeah. so got off everything and then went on the holistic path. But I do think that, you know, we've created a society where so many people have shame over, my body isn't working right or my body is what's going on, you know? And so I think having this discussion is really important.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I would agree whether we're talking about shame or we're talking about the nervous system, I think it's important to have the conversation. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you know, ironically, your nervous system is involved in your ability to have an orgasm as well. So fun fact.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yes, yes, definitely. (laughs) Great fact. Okay, so in terms of everything that we talked about today, how would you like to leave everybody with in terms of a final takeaway?
1: Ooh, hmm. Hmm. I mean, in terms of like physical symptoms, if you're on the diet and supplement hamster wheel. I'll give everyone permission to get off of that hamster wheel and just know that you're you're not going to regulate your nervous system with more kale or going vegan or trying a different strain of probiotics or taking more vitamin D like that. You're not going to regulate your nervous system with that. Um, so I give you permission to get off that hamster wheel (laughs) and to start learning about your nervous system and, um, Something that I tell all of my clients about, because all of my clients have the physical symptoms of impaired nervous systems, um, like literally here, I'll, I actually have, like on my intake form, when somebody becomes a client of mine, um, I ask them about physical symptoms. Not because I'm not going down the health coaching route anymore. I'm not going to recommend that they try this supplement or this essential oil or this restricted diet or whatever. It has nothing to do with that. I ask them about their physical symptoms because it gives me an idea of the level of impairment that we're working with in their nervous system. Mm -hmm. Because I can give them breathwork and meditations and journaling practices and I can teach them how to tap and I can teach them like I can give them all kinds of nervous system regulating tools, right? Right. But I am doing them a disservice if I don't address the inflammation that's in the brain that is also contributing to the impairment of their nervous system. So the symptoms on my intake form um, that are related to nervous system, autonomic nervous system impairment are um, anxiety and panic attacks, depression, insomnia, PMS, hormone imbalances, dizziness when standing, or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is called POTS, brain fog, lack of focus or concentration, poor memory, allergies, multiple chemical sensitivity, mast cell activation, headaches, migraines, heartburn, constipation, diarrhea, ADD, ADHD, coat hanger pain, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, a weak immune system, autoimmune disease, difficulty sweating, sensitivity to hot and or cold temperatures, constantly feeling hot or cold, varicose veins, frequent urination, incontinence, PTSD, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, constant hunger or thirst, craving sweet or salty foods, and erectile dysfunction or sexual dysfunction. So I bet every single person listening probably has at least one of those symptoms going on. Mm so that's like i start there with my clients too because yes addressing the emotional piece is key addressing the mental piece is key Um, the spiritual piece is key the ancestral piece is key but the physical body is also key because this is the meat suit that we're all living in and it experiences the various symptoms because it's letting us know that something is going on right and it's just A lot of people start at oh my hair is falling out my nails are brittle and i'm cold all the time i should go get my thyroid checked Mm -hmm. okay yeah absolutely go get your thyroid checked for sure i'm not telling anyone not to go to the doctor go get it checked but do you also realize that your autonomic nervous system is where your thyroid receives the signal to produce thyroid hormone so go get your thyroid checked get on medication if that's what you need But don't stop there. Keep going upstream and keep addressing the nervous system, regulating it, creating resiliency and flexibility in it. I think that's where I would leave off.
0: (laughs) Mm, That's a great takeaway. And I want to add in real quick too. I had a question come in. In terms of do you think women suffer more from being more sensitive in their nervous system than men or is it? No. Okay. I think that
1: the – I mean, I think the way – it is socially acceptable for women to express their nervous system dysregulation is different than men i think that this is another example of like of patriarchy for both men and women it's like internalized misogyny and patriarchy of both men and women like it's more acceptable for a woman to be quote unquote hysterical and hormonal and pmse than it is for a man to be hysterical and emotional and hormonal or what we would call hormonal. You know what I mean? Like it's more acceptable for men to express anger, rage. It's more acceptable for women to express like, you know, a broken heart or sadness. So I, I don't think it really has anything to do with men's nervous systems over women's nervous systems. I think the expression of it or the manifestation of it is different for men and women. And that's based on our society,
0: mm, which is yeah, unfortunate. That's good, <clears throat> well, that's a good point too. Cause I do feel like men don't show emotion enough. So that's, that's true. But you're right. Well,
1: it's cause we haven't told them it's not safe to, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, we're, we're coming
0: off of uh,
1: a long streak of homophobia in the world where men expressing their emotions was a quote unquote symptom of being effeminate or gay. You know, so we have generations of men who have learned that if they don't want someone to think they're gay, then they can't express emotions, but it's okay for them to be angry because that's manly, you know, fighting and violence and stuff like that is okay. But sitting with someone and sobbing is maybe not. So, yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with the nervous system. I think it has everything to do with the way uh, our society has so much internalized misogyny, both men and women.
0: Mm -hmm. Man, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so where can everybody find you?
1: (laughs) Okay, Um, so my website is lindsaylocket.com. I'm also on Instagram. My handle is I am Lindsay Lockett, and Lindsay is with an E-Y. And you can also listen to my podcast, Holistic Trauma Healing. Um, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, pretty much anywhere where you can listen to podcasts or you can stream it from my website, Um, I also do one-on-one coaching and I also have a monthly membership called the Trauma Healer Circle if people are interested in joining.
0: Okay. Thank you so much. I'll place yeah. your links below. Okay. No, be sure to DM either of us if you have any questions or feedback.